go to him and seek wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We receive that in his word. Last week we talked about the fact that he is the mighty God. Today we're going to talk about another name. And this one is a bit more difficult uh, for, for us. Uh, there are deep truths in scripture. And I'm going to be honest, I am not always very deep. My, my mind uh, cannot necessarily always grasp these truths, but I, I hope to, 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 uh, to give you what I understand or what I, what I believe uh, to be true here. The name that we're going to talk about today, the name of our glorified Savior, is the Everlasting Father. And one of the reasons why it can, causes us a conundrum, because He's the Son and not the Father. And I want to make this very clear. I am not identifying Jesus as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He's, he's, he's not, uh, this is not identifying Him as the Father. The Bible very clearly identifies him as separate of the Father. You have the Father and you have the Son. Yes, he said, I and my Father are one, but he also prayed to the Father. He wasn't praying to himself. He was praying to the Father in heaven, God the Father. Uh, uh, we, we spoke of this last week when we mentioned uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the Trinity. And while that doctrine is, is taught in Scripture, the word Trinity is not in Scripture. But we see at the baptism of Jesus Christ, you see the the, you hear the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see Jesus in the flesh, and you see the Spirit of God descending like a, a dove, the Holy Spirit, and delighting upon him on that day. And he, he was, we see the, the Trinity in that one moment. And so uh, don't misunderstand what the, this is, what the text is saying. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They are two separate persons in one Godhead. However, he will be called the everlasting Father. The truth is, uh, in, in Scripture, uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a full understanding of who God was. They had an understanding of what God revealed to them in the Old Testament. But they didn't understand all of the nature of God. Well, there were certain aspects of the fatherhood of God that they saw as certain prophets spoke of and certain things were recorded in, in the Old Testament, in the prophets and in the Psalms. There, there, there was not a full grasp of the nature of God as a heavenly father until Jesus came to this earth. The, in fact, the, the truth is, the Bible says, it, it tells us, a great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified of the, in, in the Spirit, a scene of angels, preached on in the world and received up into glory. There were, it was a mystery unto them. They understood that a Messiah was coming. They didn't understand that the Messiah was God in the flesh. They saw in the Old Testament the sacrifices. They saw in the Old Testament uh, many of the laws and things that were a shadow and a picture of what was one day to come, but they didn't grasp the full knowledge and the full understanding of those things. In fact, even today, it takes study of the Word of God to see some of those things in the Old Testament. And those things have to be revealed to us by God the Father. In fact, if God doesn't reveal, reveal the Son to us, we wouldn't understand who he was. If you remember what Jesus asked the, 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 the disciples, uh, he, he looked at Peter and says, uh, who do men say that I am? And, and they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, and others say that you're Elias or Elijah. Uh, some say that you're some other prophet or some other teacher. And he said, who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did he say? Flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but the Father. 
until the world sees, until the, the blindness is taken away, until their eyes are open to the truth, they'll never understand the, the full nature of God. Now that doesn't take away from them the, the, the responsibility of, uh, the, of, of understanding and seeking Him out. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that all of us have been given an understanding and a knowledge of God. But uh, uh, just in the, the creation around us, and in, the, 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 in our own selves we understand that, but many people resist it and they're given over to those, those, those reprobate minds. But in Jesus Christ, we see the nature of God revealed. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what the Bible tells us. In him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So first of all, as we look at Jesus, the, the, the everlasting Father, uh, I want you to understand that, that uh, he is revealing to us uh, a, a something uh, in, in, in the New Testament and in his own personship, uh, uh, in his nature, we are, we, there are attributes and characteristics of the Father that are revealed to us through him. <coughs> Excuse me. The final head of a new revelation, that is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. The Father was revealed to, to mankind by the Son. They saw God as a spirit. They saw God as creator. They saw God as all-powerful. But they never saw God as a God of love. There are certain aspects to the nature of God that was not revealed unto mankind until they saw Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2 says this, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He said, while, while, while the, the prophets spoke to the world, and, 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 and while the prophet, God revealed himself through all these different ways and spoke in all these different ways in the past, now he speaks to us through the Son. It is a new revelation, a new understanding. John 14, 9 says this, Jesus saith unto him, and this is Jesus speaking, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. I'll say us then. Show us the Father. And knowing Christ and, and learning who He is, we, we, we learn and are introduced to the nature and the attributes of God the Father. This morning we're, we're going to look at three uh, revelations of God the Father which Christ came to reveal to men. The first is this. He is the Father of eternal life. He is the Father of of eternal life. John chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 4 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And notice what it says in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. We talk about eternal life quite a bit, but you know why we do that as Christians? Because the Bible talks about it a lot. In fact, in the New Testament there are 45 mentions of this eternal life that has been given to us through the son Jesus Christ. Uh, until that, until Christ was, was revealed on this earth, until he came, they didn't know about eternal life. 
They didn't have an understanding of that. But but we have a better understanding of what eternal life is and and what it means for us. It is is amazing, and and many times we misunderstand it. John 10.10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ came so that you and I, so that mankind could have eternal life. It is, it is, quant, it is quantitative. It is it, it, the, the quantity. Think about what you and I, you, you can live for 70 years and think that's a long time. You can live, those of you that are close to 70 think that's not long enough, right? I agree with you. Uh, I, I, I'm okay if I, if I, if I go uh, 90 years, as long as you know, my body and my mind is okay. But to really grasp eternal life, there is no end. There is no end. The, uh, there, there will never be a moment uh, when, when that life comes to an end. You're not going to uh, think, well, that sounds like forever. It is. That, that it's, it is a life that will go on and on. And listen, it's not going to, de- listen, our lives, uh, they deteriorate as we get older. Let's just be, let's just be honest. Uh, now, I'm not saying I'm old. I'm only 45. But I can feel now in my bones things crack and creak that didn't used to crack and creak. My hair, is, as my wife likes to remind me, is getting thinner up top. I'm getting thinner down here, but I'm getting thinner up here. Uh, uh, some of you have already reached that age, and it's not that they've, gotten, that, that they've lost their hair. They've just grown taller than their hair. <laughs> Rich is like, thumbs up. <coughs> Excuse me. But our bodies get older. And, and while time may seem to fly by as we go over, and it does, it seems to every year get faster and faster, and those, uh, those moments go quickly. And we realize how precious and important those, those things are. Uh, uh, to, for us to grasp with our finite minds the, 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 the quantity, the quantitative thought of, of everlasting life, can't. But that's the promise of God. There, it, it, it is a promise of, uh, of an abundant, everlasting life. It's quantitative. It's qualitative. There's a quality to this life. John 10, 28 says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We're told we'll be given eternal life and that that life will be abundant, as I read in John chapter 10, 10. There'll never be an end. They'll never be, it'll never be removed from us, taken from us. We can't give it up. It is ours for all eternity, but it will be an abundant life. It'll be a blessed life. Uh, we're not going to be sitting up there bored. When I was a kid and I used, to, I used to see the cartoons where the people sitting on the clouds playing harps and things, that always sounded really boring. And I didn't, what do I want to do that for? That's not what heaven's going to be like. I, can't, I cannot tell you and explain to you what you're going to be doing when you get to heaven. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, listen, if all we do is stand before God and praise God, and that goes on forever, I will be happy. You say, that, that sounds boring. In the flesh, yes. In the spirit, no. We've gone to different meetings. Our, our, our family has gone to different, been blessed to go to certain um, uh, preachers' meetings. And you think I preach for a long time. 
Some of these meetings go on uh, to midnight. And I'm not saying that that makes them more spiritual than the ones that have. Uh, but there have been meetings where you go in and uh, with the, whether it's the singing, the worship, whatever. There's just a, there's a sweet spirit. And you don't, you're not looking at the clock because you want to, to go home. You're, you, you're just exhausted because you've been there for so long. Your, your body is saying, I'm tired of this, but your spirit doesn't want to leave. Listen, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have the, the exhaustion or the, 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 the things of the flesh that are going to be pulling at us and, and pulling us away. We'll be in heaven with God forever. What a day that'll be. This idea of, of eternal life isn't just for when we die. And this is important. It is not something that you inherit when you die in this body. This eternal life that God has given you is something that you receive the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, He must be born again. That which is born of the, of the flesh is flesh. This body, flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he says, Mount not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. At, that, at the reception of, your, of Christ as your Savior, as you receive him, as you trust in him, you were once dead, but now you have been made alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, and you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive. You're spiritually alive. You have received eternal life that you might have life and have it abundantly. Praise God. He is the Father of eternal life. Without the Son, you would not have life. In fact, it says that exact words. If you have not the Son, you have not life. If you have the Son, you have life. He is the Father of eternal life. He is the, fa the Father of eternal light. Back in John chapter 1, again, it says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That was the true light, verse 9 says, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, came to a dark place. It was dark because of the, the rejection of God. First John tells us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It also goes on to say that, that men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. We live in a, a wicked, perverse, evil world ruled by the, the, the ruler of darkness, according to Paul in, in the Corinthians. Satan is the, the ruler of this world, and, and <coughs> it is a, a dark, dark place. But when Jesus spake in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Then spake Jesus, Again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus revealed uh, that day the nature of the, of the Father's heavenly light. In doing so, he revealed the holiness of God, and the righteousness of God, and the justice of God. When we, when we speak of God being the light, that's what we're talking about. It's not like he's some source of light somewhere. He's the brighter than the sun. While he may be brighter than the sun, I, I've never seen the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, it's speaking of his holiness. It's speaking of his righteousness. And Jesus Christ revealed that in his own nature. 
While he looked like man, uh, he had flesh like you and I, he was in the form of a man, he was still God. And there was no sin in him. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, we understand that the Lamb that was to be slain for the people had to be a spotless Lamb, without blemish. Again, a a, a symbol of the the purity and the the holiness of the the sacrifice who would one day be born. And Jesus revealed that nature in a way that, that, that man hadn't seen it before. Because the truth is, you and I can have a an idea of God's holiness, and an idea of God's righteousness. But comparative to what we know, I can look at some of you and say, hey, you're pretty good people. And you are. Compared to me, but compared to God, we all fall short. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And our understanding and our, our, our view of what righteousness is, is always tainted by our finite, sin, sinful minds. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? John 3, 16-21 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. But the message goes on. It says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth not on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. See, the, the problem uh, when, when the truth is revealed or when, when the holiness of God is revealed, what does it do? It reveals to us our own sin. And that's what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the holiness of God, right? And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. And when, we, when, when, the man, when man saw Jesus, uh, even the righteous uh, hated him. Those that were self-righteous, those that did everything that they could, the Pharisees, they hated Christ. Because while they, 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 they did their best to fulfill the law, only Jesus fulfilled the law. And in doing so, he exposed every aspect of wickedness, sinfulness, and, and lawlessness uh, in the heart of man. And men hate light because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil. The same happens today. When we look into the Word of God, when we look into the nature of Christ, we look at God, uh, it reveals to us that, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, and in us, what do we see? What does the Holy Spirit reveal to us? Our sinfulness. That was as He reproves the world of sin. 1 John 1.5 says this, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no Darkness at all. Men and demons tried to extinguish the light. They did everything they could to silence Christ and to put an end to him. Many times uh, they questioned him and tried to trip him up and showed that he was, to show that he was fallible uh, to those who were listening to him. But every time, he being God and knowledge and perfection and always spoke perfectly, 
and never failed in his teachings. Never got tripped up by the law because he fulfilled the law. There was a moment when they thought they'd won. There were times when, when they had taken up stones to stone him, but every time he'd escaped death because it wasn't the appointed time. But when the appointed time came, uh, uh, he was sold out, uh, betrayed by, by, uh, by, by Judas. Uh, he uh, sold for 30 pieces of silver. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was, he was brutally uh, treated. And then he was murdered at the hand of mankind. And for a moment, it looked like that light was put out. At the darkness of Calvary, as he, as he hung on that cross, he was, as he was mocked, and he was, as he bled, as he struggled to breathe, uh, uh, the, the Pharisees must have been giddy with glee as they looked at what they had finally accomplished, as Satan thinking, ha, we have won! <laughs> no. The Bible says, Tells us that during those those hours that the sky grew dark as it was night and, and the, the the earth quaked and the thunder rolled. It must have been a, a terrifying time. And, and even accounts that the graves had opened and, and the dead some dead rose and walked the earth. Listen, it must have been a, a terrifying time. But I want you to understand the light was not out because on that dark day at Calvary, when he said, It is finished. Yeah, what a what a blessed thought. The light never shone brighter. He was placed in a grave, and while, uh, while his, his, uh, his, his followers hid themselves for fear of, uh, of those that were in control of those days, uh, the light wasn't out. It, it just seemed to be but a flicker. But I want you to know on the third day that he rose as the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, according to, to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And he rose to never die again. He is the father of eternal life. Because... <clears throat> the Father of eternal light. It's a light that will never be put out. The Bible tells us in heaven that, that, there, that there is no sun, there is no need for light because God is light. That light is in you and me. Without that light, you and I would be in darkness. But through the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross that day, you and I can have light, can walk in light, and live in light, and we can be the light of men. The light of God is revealed most supremely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, we see this. He's the father of, of eternal life. He's the father of eternal light. And he's the father of eternal love. Now the Jews understood God as, as a holy God. They understood God as a just God, as a righteous God. I'm reminded of uh, the, 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 the time when God spoke to the people of Israel, not through Moses, as they, but as they stood at the, 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 the bottom of the mount of God, and they saw the flames of fire, and they heard the thunderings, and they hid their faces and told Moses, we don't want to talk to him anymore. And they trembled and they were afraid because of who God was. They didn't understand the love of God. 
None of them understood the love of God. Yes, they understood the mercy of God. David writes much about the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And, 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 and it was taught in, 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 uh, about, uh, about in the Old Testament through many of the different prophets. Uh, Hosea is a perfect picture of the, the love of God. Uh, the, the, there is much there about the love of God, but it wasn't a full picture. They, they couldn't fully understand it until Jesus Christ. Remember, John 1, 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. It was through Christ that he was fully declared. See, it was through Christ and the gift of that Son that we see the love of Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the God sent not his Son to to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was, it was through that gift that we see the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father. Well, they saw the, the sacrifice of animals, and, and they, they heard of, of a Messiah that would one day come and rule. They didn't understand that he had to die. They thought he would rule and reign on this earth in a physical kingdom, and one day he will. But that's not why he came. He came, first of all, to reconcile Man to God. We see he did that through the love of God, through his death. 1 John 4.10, herein is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We talk about love, and the Bible talks much about love in the New Testament, but when it does, it always ties it to the cross. Always. There is no love without sacrifice. Christ was sacrificed on the altar of sin for us. Hebrews 9.12 says this in verse 14, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It is through his sacrifice that we see the blood of or that we see the love of God. There was a redemptive, uh, there was an redemptive uh, quality to that love. It, 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 it's not that he just gave us a pass for our sin. Our sin was paid for. It cost him. Hebrews 5, 9 says, In being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And he that loveth God, verse, 1 John 4, 8, knoweth not God, God is love. God is love. And we cannot understand that until we first see Christ. So Jesus Christ reveals those three attributes of, uh, of, of our Heavenly Father uh, as, as, uh, as revealed in His own nature and in His own coming to this earth. That is the, <coughs> excuse me, He is the final head of the, of the new revelation, but I also want you to notice two other things, and we'll go through these quickly. Not only is the final head of a new revelation, he's the founder head of a new religion. Christianity is not Judaism, and Judaism isn't Christianity. While, while we understand that the Jews trusted and followed the, the Old Testament prophets to the best of their ability and their knowledge as God revealed himself to them, when he sent his son to die on the cross, when he revealed the Christ, the New Testament, they rejected him. 
Israel was not the church. It was a picture of what there would one day be, but I, I want you to understand Israel was not the church, and we are not Israel. Jesus himself said, said that I will build my church. It's a, it's a different, albeit same foundation, different religion. James 1.27 says this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Hebrew had a, Hebrews had a habit uh, in the Old Testament, and, and we've taken that. Uh, we see it in Scripture, but we, we see it in history as well, uh, where they would take somebody who started something, who invented something, or who founded something, and they would call them the father of it. In Genesis chapter 4.21, Jubal, it's called the father of all who played the harp or flute. And when I was a kid, I thought that all of us kids were musical, but that's not what it means. In Genesis 4.20, Jabel is the father of those who lived in tents and had livestock. Now, in history, we've done the same thing. We call Socrates the father of philosophy and, and a man named Galen the father of medicine. It's, it, it's very common to, today to look back in history and see the inventor or the founder of something and call them the, the father of it. And in, in a real sense, we can say that, uh, talk of Christ as the father of our new religion. He is the father of Christianity. Christ built the church. Matthew 16, 18, and I say also unto the hour, Peter, and upon this rock, I will, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Colossians 1, 17, 18 says this, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have preeminence. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the church is characterized by two things. As Christ is our head and founder. The word of the Father. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. James 1.22 says, be, but be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. John 1.17, I want you to understand this, that when we say that Jesus was the Word, He was the incarnate Word of God, the truth. He says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the incarnate Word of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When we talk about, uh, about him being the Word, uh, in him uh, embodied uh, the entire truth. There was, no, uh, there was no falseness, there was no hypocrisy, there was no uh, pretense in him. He was truth. He didn't come to destroy the law, he came and fulfilled the law. Uh, uh, he is the Word of God. But not only is he incarnate truth, but he's the author of the inspired truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 Says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
The Word of God was given to us. This, this, the Bible that you hold in your hands, uh, the written Word of God is given to us, uh, inspired, God-breathed is, is what the meaning of the Word is. <coughs> Uh, so that so that you now hold the word of God, not a, a guesstimate, but the word of God. You you have it in your hands. It's it is it is it is for us uh, everything. There's no other guide uh, to matters of faith and practice outside of Scripture. There there are a lot of people that will get a lot of advice or they'll read a lot of books for a lot of information. And there's information all over this world. But in the matters of faith and what we are to believe and how we are to live, do not follow another teacher. Follow the word of God. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walketh not in the way of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Joshua was promised that if, if they didn't deter to the left or to the right hand, that, that they would prosper in all that they did. I want you to understand the Word of God is absolutely necessary for the life of every Christian. Jesus Christ came into the world not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And his life not only included the law and the prophets, but he transcended above the law and the prophets in, in the New Testament. He revealed to us much more uh, than, than the, the, the Old Testament revealed to them in the Old Testament. In the past, I'm not saying that the Old Testament isn't good for us. Read it, study it, learn from it. But Christ has given us the Word. And we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And there's, there's a phrase in that verse. There in verse 22 of James 1. Be wary of this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We can deceive ourselves thinking that we're doing everything that we're supposed to do just because we know what the Bible says. Knowledge is necessary, but wisdom is more important. Knowledge and understanding, knowledge is this. Uh, uh, you read a book. You have knowledge. You, you know it. Understanding is you know how it applies to you. Wisdom is in taking that knowledge that applies to you and living it out in your life. And it isn't enough to know that we're to live a certain way or know that Jesus did a certain thing. We should understand the doctrines of Scripture. We should understand all that the Bible teaches and study the, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should know the word, but we need to live the word. Not only does he reveal to himself as the word of the Father, but we, we also see the work of the Father. Again, in James 1.27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions and to keep them himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion is this. Uh, the, the, the problem is there are a lot of religious people that, that, that believe in, that they hold themselves up to a higher standard of, of, of cleanliness clean living and, and certain standards. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't live clean and holy before the Lord. We should absolutely live, live pure before the Lord. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have certain standards. We should absolutely have Bible-led, God-led standards in our lives. Uh, but, but you can have all the standards you want, and you can live all the clean ways you want. The Pharisees did the same thing, and Jesus called them 
whitewashed sepulchers. Clean on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. In fact, in Matthew 25, 36 through 43, we see some of the, the, the harshest words that Jesus spoke. Uh, uh, actually, the harshest words Jesus spoke was in Mark 12, uh, 38 and 40, where he's speaking of the Pharisees, Pharisees. He says, and he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the market, marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms of the feast which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive a greater damnation. He's saying they're doing everything. They want to be seen by men. They're doing everything looking good on the outside, but they're literally stealing from widows. And he chastises them. He says they're going to receive a greater damnation, a greater judgment because of it. See, Jesus was, and God is known throughout Scripture, as a father of the fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and a judge of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalms 27.10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Christ manifested in his life the father's heart in caring for the fatherless and the widows. He was uninterested in the hypocrisy of religion, but instead in his teachings and practice, he was the example for every believer. He, he was compassionate when others were not compassionate. He showed love when others showed disdain. Uh, he, when, when they brought the little children to him, uh, uh, the, the disciples said, no, 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 get them away. They're not important. He said, no, suffer the little children to come unto me. Uh, he spent time with those that others thought were, were too lowly. And listen, the Pharisees would have nothing to do with the drunks and the, and the prostitutes and, and the people that they didn't think were worthy of their time. Jesus spent his time with them because he understood this, that they needed him. And a lot of the Pharisees didn't, but they didn't know it. And he spent time with them too. But the truth is, you and I, and every Christian, needs to be very wary of the fact that we can come to church and we can dress right, we can talk right. But the way we treat others, don't deceive ourselves. Don't deceive ourselves thinking that we're better than we are when God sees everything that we do. In fact, Matthew chapter 25, 36 through 43, says, Naked, I was naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now in that passage, there's two groups of people. There are the righteous, who he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. But the other side, on the left-hand side, it says, Then shall you say unto, he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. They asked the same question. When did we see you? This is the least of these, my brother. First John says this, <coughs> in chapter 3, speaking of a test, a, a, a litmus test of our, of our salvation, and that if we see a brother in, in Christ in need, and we have the ability to meet that need, and we 
the Bible uses the phrase that we shut up our bowels of compassion, we decide not to help. This is how does the love of God dwell in you? Jesus Christ revealed to us that he was the founder of this new religion. We see it in the word of God and the work of the Father. And lastly, we see that he's the federal head of a new race. Romans 8.29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus Christ is referred as the firstborn of many brethren. You and I, those that have trusted in Christ. Paul says that, that uh, the Lord Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. That means that Christ ranks as the firstborn and declares him to be the exalted head of a new humanity. If, if you remember the, the account of Adam and Eve, uh, Adam was the, the head of humanity. Uh, he was born, uh, the firstborn, uh, or for, first created on this earth, and because uh, he did, all humanity falls after him. But what happened with Adam? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so the death passed upon all men. With the fall of Adam came the fall of mankind. We're all sinners because of Adam. First Corinthians 15 22 tells us, for as an Adam all die. But here's the, here's the blessed truth. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam was the federal head of the living, but by his fall, death came upon the whole world, the whole human race. But because of Jesus Christ, we can all have life. And he becomes the, the federal head, the, the, the firstborn of, of, of many brethren. Because of Christ's death, for your sin and for mine. We are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. And Adam all died and Christ all sh sh shall all be made alive. Jesus was the last Adam and by our union with Christ we become partakers of the new nature and a redeemed hum humanity. When we get saved, we receive a divine nature. That's what Peter tells us. Second Peter chapter 1. By these great and precious promises uh, that we become partakers of a divine nature. That's that new birth. We're not what we used to be. We've been made alive. But Jesus is the firstborn of many, many brethren. John one twelve says this is how it takes place. This, this miracle of new birth. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is not inherited. You, you don't become a child of God because your family was. My kids, I love them to death. But they don't become believers because they're my kids. Because they're pastor's kids. They have, to, they have to come to Christ on their own. It's not, by, it's not through inheritance. It's not, uh, uh, it says, which is born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not by our, our, our desire. I, I don't get it because I want it. Nor of the will of man, but of God. God has to do the work in each and every one of us. And it takes two things. We see it there in verse 12. You need to believe. 
But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now there's two, two words here. There's believe and receive. You can believe something and not be saved. Let me, let me make sure I clarify this. Paul said, actually I believe it was James, said the angels or the de- demons believe and they tremble. When we talk about belief for salvation, we're not talking about a, a knowledge or an assent or a, a, an acknowledgement of a truth that is taught. It is not that you mentally agree that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for you. Because you can mentally acknowledge that truth and it not be faith. There are a lot of people that believe that there is a God. And there are a lot of people that will say, I believe that Jesus died for, the, for all of mankind. But there is a difference between a head knowledge and what we call a heart knowledge. You can say, yes, Jesus was the Christ. Yes, he died for the sins of all men. Yes, he died for me. But faith requires action. Now, we're not saved by our works. But James says, faith without works is dead. What do I I mean then? Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 11. We're almost done. We could pick any one of these. But let's look at verse 8. It says, Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Now God spoke to Abraham and called him from, the, from his, his, his homeland and said, come from there and go to a city which I'm going to show you. And he said, he could have said, you know, I believe God spoke to me. In fact, I'm pretty sure he probably told Sarah because he got her to pack up with him and leave. God told me to do this. But if he didn't follow and obey, was there really any faith to his belief that God spoke to him? No. Our, 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 our real belief affects our behavior. What we believe affects what we do. Abraham's belief of God. Now listen, the Bible says that his belief justified him. The Bible tells us that Abraham's belief in the book of Galatians, that his belief, his faith, justified him in the eyes of God. This verse says, by faith he went out. If you say that you believe God, but you never really put your trust in God, you never trust him for salvation, you never receive, because there's two words here. In John 1, 12, in John 1, 12, there's believe on the name of the Lord, and then it says receive him. I believe this chair will hold me up. But if I never sit in it, do I really believe it? I, I'm mentally acknowledging that, that that chair is strong enough and has been, I'm not sure who put it together. I hope it's, I've already sat in it, so I know it will. Right? <clears throat> this is resting in this chair. 
When I place my faith in Christ, my salvation is resting in the work of Jesus Christ. But because of that, the life that I now live, I live in Christ. It affects the things I do. The, the, the Spirit of God begins to work in me, and there is a change, because you cannot come to Christ and there not be a change. The Bible says, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. I'm not saying it's an instantaneous, we're suddenly holy and perfect. In the eyes of God, we are justified immediately, but there is a sanctification process that starts at the day of salvation and continues on until the day of Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord for that, because he's got a whole lot of work to do on me. I'm not there yet. But, but, but if there was never any salvation, there would never be any change. Believe in the everlasting Father. Place your faith in Him. He says, but as many as received Him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in His name. But we must not just only believe, but receive. It's an, the active part of it. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. You're not trying to earn your salvation anymore. You're not trying to do anything. You're just along for the ride. There have been times when I've, when I've, when I, have you ever seen a kid where you come along and, and they're trying to carry something that's too big for them and you pick it up but they want to help you? And they're really being more of a hindrance than anything else? Listen, it doesn't matter what you do, how good you think you are, what kind of works you do, you're not helping God at all. Your salvation is in you. It's not in you. Your salvation is in the work of Christ. You're just along for the ride. Rest in him. Receive him. Believe in him. He is a, the, the revealer of the nature of God. As we look at Jesus Christ, we can declare, we will one day declare, he is the everlasting father. Not that he's God the father, but he is a reflection of the nature and the attributes. Revealing God as Father, we see the love of God, the light of God, the life of God in Jesus Christ. As we celebrate Christmas today, remember that little baby in a manger was not just the baby, it was God in the flesh. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you.